Hello and welcome to episode number 95 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, here to uh, take you on another journey with another wonderful guest. And I uh, just want to let you guys know of a couple things that are coming up uh, while I have a moment to talk to you before I bring my guest on. So you're kind of trapped, like you're hungry on an airplane and you really don't want to spend the $5 on the cookie, but you got to eat it because it's six hours until you get to your destination and there's no meal service. However, I'll be brief. So uh, just a couple things I wanted to let you know. I am going to be doing some walkthroughs now that I have uh, proper software and a sound card that has a loopback function. Thank you, Motu, for the M4. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, really, really love the sound quality of it. Uh, but I'm going to be doing some walkthroughs. So uh, I talked earlier about my friend Eduardo Terralante, who came out with his new instrument, Nada, which I absolutely love. It is a beautiful, beautiful, uh, new age sort of sound library. Uh, I think it has a lot of other uses, but uh, that's the main focus of it. And I'm going to be doing a uh, sort of walkthrough tutorial on that. That will be on my YouTube channel. Also, I'm going to be doing a couple of tutorials on how I do my podcast. And the first tutorial I'm going to do is featuring Audionamics product IDC, the instant dialogue cleaner, which I use on absolutely every podcast. I will not do a show without it um, unless I had to, in which case I guess I'd have to, but I try not to. I haven't had to yet. I've been using it for a year now because I started using it uh, right before NAM of 2019. And I've recently returned from NAM of 2020. So uh, yeah, it's a great product. It's really helped with the uh, sound quality and also with the amount of time it takes me to prepare an episode. Whereas uh, the way I was doing it before was very painstaking. It took uh, several hours. Now it only takes uh, about an hour and a half, but a good chunk of that is just rendering. And I can be doing other things while I'm rendering the podcast. Uh, I actually don't spend a lot of time editing it. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to all that when I do the rest of the tutorial. But the first tutorial I'm going to do is just on the IDC, the instant dialogue cleaner. I've tried to do tutorials in the background uh, in, in the past. And, um, until I got to, uh, Rick Allen's, uh, tutorial for his, uh, instrument, I didn't really have a good way of doing it. And the loopback function on my new audio interface is what is really going to help me to get a good quality of sound. So there's one tip right there. Uh, make sure if you're doing tutorials that your sound card has a loopback function. What the loopback function does, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with it, is it allows you to record the sound from the computer because without an in and out for the actual computer noise itself, uh, you don't have a way to route it out of the computer and back into the interface. And if you're using cabling to do it, uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, it just does not come out well. I've not been able to figure that out. Really don't care though, because I now have a loopback function. So when I uh, did my tutorial for Rick Allen, uh, I that was the first time using the loopback function. It worked beautifully and allowed me to actually let you hear the sounds from the computer as I was playing them. And, uh, and I'll be doing that with everything else. So when I'm uh, editing with uh, IDC, you could hear the difference. You can hear uh, why I use it and how simple and powerful of a tool it really is. And I had a great time visiting with my friends over there at NAMM. Uh, they were one of the first booths I went to and uh, talked to them actually several times throughout the trip. So uh, great to see you guys. And uh, what else? So that's the main thing um, I'm heading up now. This is episode 95. So we're getting close to episode 100. Cannot wait to bring that to you guys. It is getting close. 
And uh, I've got a couple of uh, special guests lined up in the meantime, as well as a couple other things I'm going to do to bring you to episode 100. Then I'm going to be taking a short break. Uh, I've got a lot of composing to do and some uh, song editing for another project, uh, as well as some music I'm writing uh, for another project. So uh, going to back off of the podcast a little bit so I can get through some of those things and get that music out. And uh, then I'll be back. And if I have, you know, the the tough thing is always scheduling. So I've talked to a lot of people about being on the show. A lot of them are uh, interested in being on the show. And then when it comes time, they kind of either disappear, which throws off my scheduling. And so um, I'm going to as I get episodes in, I may still bring that out during the break. I tried to take a break over the summer. That didn't really work because uh, some of the guests that I had lined up came through and I didn't really want to sit on those episodes because a couple of them were time sensitive. So uh, I just ended up bringing the podcast back. So I'm going to be taking a hiatus after episode 100 and uh, really excited to bring you my episode 100 guest along with every guest that I bring on the show, because why wouldn't I be? Uh, somebody wants to take the time to uh, talk to me on my show and talk to you guys and uh, hopefully, you know, build a, an even bigger fan base than they already have. And uh, maybe you guys enjoy it or you learn something in the process and you're entertained, uh, then it's all worth it. So why would I hold back episodes? If I've got one, I want to get it out to you guys. Uh, that being said, though, I had done a special scheduling for episode 100, as you will eventually see. So uh, congratulations to Kimberly, who's got another book out. She was a recent podcast guest uh, for the release of her book, Greta Garbage, which is a very uh, difficult emotional roller coaster. And I've got some other friends that are having projects come out soon. So I'm hoping to have them on the show as well and talk about their new releases and the amazing things that they're all up to. And uh, that's about it. So I am ready to bring on my guest this week, Lori Love who, uh, if you remember the episode I did uh, just before Christmas with Brian Skiba, uh, Brian is Lori's husband, and they work together in films. But Lori is also a very accomplished actor, and she's done a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, very knowledgeable in the film industry. And she's one of those people, and this is one of the things I love the most about her. She's one of those people that she doesn't just have an idea and go, Oh yeah, well that, you know, be, that'd be great to do one day. No, she does everything that she can to make it happen. And I absolutely love that about her. I really think that a lot of people could just accomplish things if they would just get going, if they would find some starting point and just start moving forward. A lot of times things come together when you just get started. And it's interesting that I'm bringing that up because I just heard that on another podcast a couple of days ago, uh, where people, they were saying that, and, and I really do believe this, um, a lot of the projects don't ever find success because you just don't get started. And I don't see a point of one day if, or I wish I would have, or that sort of thing. I, uh, I'm one of those people that, uh, much like Lori, if I have an opportunity to do something and it seems like a good idea, I go for it. You know, not everything is going to work out. I had at one time a mental sauna app for the iPhone. And I was very excited about it. It cost me a fortune to develop it. Um, unfortunately, I, I did not um, hire the best developer, but uh, but but the app worked. Uh, I would have liked some changes on it that um, would have been too costly under that particular developer's guidance. But uh, but but it was a thing, and it stayed out there for. Uh, I think I had it out there for a year, and because I couldn't. Um, I couldn't really get the app where I wanted it to be and I couldn't afford the marketing. Um, it didn't really hit. I, I sold a good amount. Um, 
and uh, I got a lot of uh, feedback on it. People really seemed to enjoy it. It was something that basically was designed to help you sleep. Uh, there's still a tutorial on it out there on YouTube. And, um, you know, it was just kind of a neat thing. And I was really uh, excited to be able to put it out there. It didn't uh, pan out the way I had hoped. But you know what? If I wouldn't have gone for it, nobody would have ever heard it. Nobody would have ever enjoyed it or gotten some benefit from it. And uh, even even with the amount of success I had, I have to say it was worth doing. And if you've got an idea, um, you know, you might not know the best way to do it, but sometimes you just got to get started. And a lot of times things will fall into place. So kudos to Lori for projects that she's working on. We're going to talk about her script that uh, that uh, was kind of the premise of this part of the, of the opening. And I'm really excited to find out more about that. And we talk about all kinds of things. And it's a, it's a great interview and a great time talking to my dear friend, Lori Love. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me with another episode of the Haskincast podcast. I am very excited to bring on this week's guest, Lori Love, who is, I could say she does one or two things in film, but she really kind of does a lot of things. And we're going to get into all of that. Let's welcome Lori. Lori, how are you today? I'm doing great. Great. Good morning. Good morning. I am so grateful that you found some time between writing films, making films, managing your household, all those things that you do to actually sit down and talk with me. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Well, we've been at this for a while trying to make this come together. And uh, it seems to be, though, with most of my guests, I, I tend to talk to people who are very active and uh, and very busy. And it's always a challenge trying to schedule. So thank you very much for your patience uh, working with me through all of that. We've got a lot to talk about. Where do you want to start? We do. Uh, let's see. Um Currently, right now, I have a script I'm working on. It's a thriller script that's been in my mind for a while. And, you know, I, I, I had pitched it. Um, there's a general interest in it. However, um, it's just something I had to get off my head. So wow. I'm about 30 pages in and then, uh, you know, burning the midnight oil after all the kids are asleep and right. yeah. uh, I get a minute to myself of peace and quiet. So it's slow going, but it's happening. Sure. Do you tend to get a lot of your ideas during the day and you just have to run and jot down a note and then go fix lunch? Oh my gosh. I feel like I should write down more stuff during the day because I get so forgetful. <laughs> There's so much going on. <laughs> Well, one thing that I started doing, um, because I often get uh, interrupted a lot and pulled in different directions, nowhere near to the extent that you do, but uh, I have a couple of different uh, methods. I have uh, just, you know, my regular voice recorder. I have, uh, I can voice text myself uh, a note, um, but I've also been using um, uh, an app. I can't think of what it is. I'll, I'll find it in a minute. But um just to kind of like jot down those notes so that I don't forget. But the problem is if you have too many places, then it's where did I put that note? <laughs> so I'm trying to like find one concise place that I'm happy with. Uh, Evernote is what it's called. Um, cool. I use Evernote quite a bit. Um, but uh, but yeah, do you do you have a uh, a method for kind of keeping everything collectively together so that when you go to work, you can just grab it and go? Uh, you know, I do. I I take notes on my computer. Um, you know, I always have some type of word document or in my notes on my phone. Mm -hmm. I'm always typing in ideas. I'm, I'm a pitch writer as well. So uh, a lot of times I'll, you know, just be sitting somewhere at lunch or 
in the drive line to pick up my kids and come up with an idea and just quickly jot it down and get to it later. Do you find that you come up with far more ideas than you can ever execute? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel that way too. The list of projects I have on my wall right now will, it would take three lifetimes to finish. (laughs) And it really becomes like a pick and choose. So with this particular one, you really seem like you're passionate about it. Like it's something that you really feel is worth pursuing. Well, I am because it's loosely, and I say loosely, it's based on a, a true story of something that happened to me. And then, you know, my imagination went wild after that. Sure. I thought, oh, this would be a great, you know, lifetime style thriller movie. And I have to write this. I just have to. I can't stop thinking about it. I love that. I think things come out the best in, when they're the most natural. And when you're just in that zone, um, you know, things tend to just kind of roll out very nicely. And I find that it's something that you have to edit less because it's just it just rolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see this happen. Thanks. Yeah, it's going to it's going to. And uh, so now you guys just finished up another movie, though. You were just down in Florida shooting. We did. We did. Um, that's Deadly Excursion 2. Um, it's a sequel to Deadly Excursion. It was also known as Paradise Prey Overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first film uh, was with Lifetime and did very well. Uh, ratings were great. I mean, you know, the actors were phenomenal. Uh, that was a story that I pitched and came up with and came to fruition. So it was quite extraordinary um, seeing your work show up that way. Oh, absolutely. Where, uh, what's the timeline, if you know, and where will we be able to see this? Uh, the first Deadly Excursion is available already on Amazon and Voodoo and different outlets. Uh, this film, I believe, I'm hoping to see it come out this spring. It, uh, I don't quote me on that, but I believe that that's what we're we're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is in it's in post production right now and moving right along. Very cool. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is you've wrapped, but there's all the other stuff that needs to happen before it can actually hit uh, any any outlet uh, whatsoever. And if it's in theaters, that takes the longest because they have to produce a print that can go out to all the theaters. I imagine they do that digitally now. Yeah. Yep, they do. See, that's how old and how little I pay attention <laughs> because I'm picturing they're they're actually like making spools, of, <laughs> you know, of film and all that, which I don't think we've done in a very long time. <laughs> well, that's cool. And, and how does it feel, though, to have something that you created not only, uh, you know, gain a following and be uh, something that's popular, but actually warrant a sequel? You know, it, it it feels it feels really, really good. You know, when I when I first um, was inspired by this idea, I actually had um, a dream. I was reading a book at the time and I. I I can't remember the book now, but it had to do with sailing. Mm -hmm. And um, I fell asleep and it was at this time in my life where I was struggling because I was fully, you know, at home and I kind of took a step back from everything with my career. And I was trying to figure out what I could do and and where I could use my talents. And then I had this dream. And I had this dream about this mom and, and this daughter and, and her rescuing her. And it was out in the ocean and uh, I couldn't shake it. It was one of those things. I just could not shake it. So I felt I had to write it down and I pitched it. And, you know, the pitch got legs. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, alongside my husband, uh, you know, and, uh, another gentleman named Ned, we, we wrote the movie and, um, you know, it came to life and, you know, here we are, you know, on the, on the second, you know, the sequel to this film. And it all started with just a thought, just a thought, just a dream, just a, you know, well, there's that organic development that I was saying. It's uh, the things usually come out the best when you're not trying to do something, when you just let it come out. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that you took a step back and kind of evaluated your career because so much of what I hear, you know, with different uh, podcasts that I listen to and different sort of quote unquote experts in the field, everybody says, you know, you have to keep driving, you have to keep pushing, you can't let your name disappear for even a day because people will forget you. Mm-hmm. But to take a step away from that and really evaluate what you want, where you feel you're best suited, I think that's so important to do every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Was it was it an easy thing for you to say you needed to do that, or was it something you kind of toiled over for a bit? No, you know, I gosh, it wasn't easy. You know, going from, you know, I was acting in an up and coming, you know, producer to, you know, just putting it on hold and, you know, being a stay at home mom, Mm -hmm. it was a huge change, but it it was the right thing to do at that time. Right. And it was the best thing to do. And, you know, I really found I could work in this business in other ways that way. You know, I, you know, what were my abilities and I, and, and I, I, and I found them. Well, that's great. I think that if you if you hadn't have done that, you could end up just getting stuck in a position that maybe long term you're not going to be happy with. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very good. I wish I really wish more people would do that. I try to do that every once in a while. In fact, I'm making um, a bit of a career switch myself musically. And uh, I think if uh, if you don't evaluate every once in a while, you're just missing so many opportunities. So my advice to everyone is take a step back every once in a while. Make sure you still enjoy what you do and it's not just something that you do because that's what you thought you wanted to do or you've you've gained a certain amount of notoriety. Make sure you're happy because if you're not happy doing what you're doing, what's the point? Exactly. Exactly. And I and I realized through that time how much, you know, I love I love filmmaking. I love the whole process from script to screen mm-hmm. and being involved in it. And I kept my toes in the water. But, you know, my I think my husband, I think he said in his podcast that I I gave up my, you know, my acting career. And I was like, no, I never gave up. Mm -hmm. It's just not in my nature. And I never gave up. I, I, I put a pause on it for a little bit, but I never gave up. Yeah. And he was he was very, uh, very kind in, in appreciating how much that you've sacrificed, you know, because you're raising the family while he's off shooting films and then you go when you're able to. And mm-hmm. it's so much to manage. And we'll talk about that a bit later. But um, I, I really love how how sincere and how much he really just appreciates everything that you've contributed to his career as well, because you guys really have sort of a joint career. We do. We do. We've worked together for a very long time. (laughs) Yes, you have. (laughs) Well, I first met you guys uh, when you had wrapped, I think it was the first time that you shot Blood Moon Rising in Phoenix. And then um, 
then you guys shot it again, which was great because you were able to get a little money and, and do a, a more mm-hmm. enhanced version of it. Were you able to learn a lot doing it the first time that you've been able to take forward into that second revisit of it? Oh my gosh, that whole thing was a learning process. It was absolutely nuts, but we just went for it. <clears throat> you know, and <clears throat> we had to wear so many hats and this is, you know, something that taught me a lot. You know, uh, you know, learning every position and you know, knowing these positions and knowing what it takes and doing everything on such a micro budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you take it bigger and bigger every step you take. Sure. But yeah, the first, the first blood moon, it was for a, a competition film mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It was for the seven deadly. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Seven deadly films. Yeah. And it was played at Alice Cooper's town, mm-hmm. uh, for the premiere. And, and there, it, you know, we were invited to, as filmmakers to come do the, you know, do a short film. And we did this fun campy horror grindhouse film mm-hmm. and uh people at the show started quoting all the lines and laughing and wherever we went we heard people talking about the movie so then we said you know what we really have something here let's make it into a feature yeah well you kind of have to at that point i mean the whole when, when you're an independent filmmaker the whole point is to get something that that reaches people and then you know if you're getting a little bit of a buzz just on that indie level imagine if you could get it out nationally or worldwide uh, how do you not go for it exactly yeah and you got ron jeremy uh in the in the other feet in the the second version of it uh, i met him when i lived in la and he was a very nice guy he is. He's a really nice guy. He's really, really funny, too. Mm-hmm. Really funny. Yeah, he is. Uh, and he plays a mean harmonica. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never thought I would be at a red carpet event in L.A. standing next to Ron Jeremy, listening to him play Amazing Grace on harmonica. It was one of those moments <laughs> that you just you can't plan stuff like that. <laughs> but he, <laughs> but yeah, the, people have a really weird perception of him because of his background, but he's he's a very down to earth, just really nice, generous guy. And uh, I was really glad I got to spend some time with him. Yeah, he is. He, he's quite a riot to be around. For sure. Now, uh, you guys have done a lot, a lot of work together. And you've done uh, now when Brian was on, um, we were just talking about the new Christmas movie that he did, Adventures with mm-hmm. Santa, which I really liked. Um, I thought it was a great movie, but, and there's certain things that kind of with Christmas movies follow a certain formula where, you know, everything's going to work out. You want something warm for the holidays. You don't want necessarily, uh, anything that's going to be too tense. You want a good ride. Um, and you've just done another Christmas movie. Yes, we did a Christmas call or a movie called Hark Christmas in the key of Hark. Uh, that was starring Jamie Lunar. Uh, William Cat played her father and, uh, uh, you know, we have quite a few other amazing actors in that film. We filmed it out here in Santa Clarita, California. Nice. Uh, So that was nice in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are wondering why, you know, William Cat's name, he was the lead in the show, The Greatest American Hero. Yay. I loved that show. (laughs) I think we all, we all wanted to be him, I think, at one point or another, you know, just be able to just, you know, strip off the jacket and start flying around and fighting crime. And it's kind of like every boy's dream. 
And of course, Jamie's great. You know, Jamie, uh, we were talking about it before we started recording, but Jamie, uh, and I talked to uh, Brian about her too, um, starred in uh, the show Just the Ten of Us. She was in Melrose Place. Uh, Just the Ten of Us was a spinoff of the show Growing Pains, uh, which was just, it was a great time, I think, in the 80s for sitcoms. Totally. Have you ever wanted to do a television series? Absolutely. I think it would be fun. What kind would you want to do? You know, I really like sitcoms. Mm-hmm. I would really love to do a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be fun. I think it's a whole different world, obviously, than film because you have to the, – the number of stories that you have to come up with, the timelines for television are very intense. Totally. I, and, you know, I bet – I would love to learn it. You know, I like a challenge and I'd love to see that side of things. Yeah. I see you being one of those people that really isn't afraid to take any opportunity on. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I guess that's how you'd explain me. I'm an Aries. I, I just, you know, when there's something I want or I want to do, you know, I go for it. I've had, you know, a life full of people telling me I can't, I, I won't, I shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, you're to this, you're to that, you're not enough of this, you're never going to. You know, and every time I thought to myself, watch me, watch me, I'm going to do it. I think that's the difference. I think that the people that tend to be successful, uh, and I only, I'm only talking about people who have had those influences because you can be perfectly successful without people telling you you can't do it. But I think the people that have heard those things, especially through the majority of their life, uh, mm-hmm. they tend to be more successful if they're willing to just not go with the grain and they're, yeah. they're, they're going to stand up against it and go, um, I don't really care if you're right or not. I'm going to do it because this makes me happy. And I think I've got some skill and I want to do it. Yeah. And then, and you're going to work hard to get there mm-hmm. and you're going to put the work in. Did you feel though, that sometimes it, you know, hearing that so much, uh, did you ever buy into it? It, you know, sometimes it hurt. Mm-hmm. It really did. But I think it gave me more of a fire mm-hmm. to try harder and to prove to myself that I can do it. You know, I don't have to listen to, you know, what these people are saying. That's their own opinion. Right. And the sad thing is, it's usually the people that are really close to you, whether it's, you know, your your family, your slightly extended family, your closest friends. And I get that they're coming from a standpoint of you need security. You need to build a foundation in your life. And the entertainment industry is so iffy. I I get where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of them, too, come from, well, I wanted to do it and I didn't. So I don't want to see somebody else be successful and show me I should have gone for it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's subconscious or not, I think that there's a lot of that underneath. But good for you for not, you know, not conforming to it. <laughs> Thank you. I think, you know, I, I just, I see life as an opportunity. And if we're not taking opportunities to do things that we enjoy or things that make us happy, and especially carrying that on to things that make other people happy, what's mm-hmm. the point? You know, what are we doing? Yeah. So good for you. I like you even more now because I didn't. Oh, thanks. I like you too. (laughs) Well, thank you. So you you have, uh, you know, you've produced movies, you've written Mm -hmm. movies. Have you directed at all? You know, I in in college, I did direct a short Mm -hmm. Uh, that that short actually went on to win quite a bit of awards and Uh uh, premiered during Sundance uh, for the SoCal Cinema Slam. It won Best Picture in that as well. Wow. However, it's funny because Brian was talking the other day. He's like, yeah, you know, I really I think you should try directing. And it is. I kind of laughed and I said, you know what? I don't I don't want to I don't want to do it. 
And he's like, you know, I think you'd be really good at it. I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But it's just, I guess that's not my passion. Right. Yeah. I think I I could be good at playing polka music all day long, but it doesn't mean I want to. (laughs) Yeah. I think exactly. I think it's one of those things, and I've always said that you know an actor should direct something and a director should act in something. Really understand uh, the other side so that you can learn to work together well. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's not something that you want to do beyond doing it for the learning experience, um, why would you? Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you have a husband who's a very good director and very successful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he seems to be doing okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm glad that you did it, and I and I like that you were Thank successful you. at it. Do you think that it made you a better actor? Absolutely, a hundred percent. How do you look at it differently now that you've been on the other side? Oh my gosh, you know, from from being on the on the business side of film, you know, to the creative side, from behind the camera and to the you know to the front of the camera. There's so many different dynamics, but when you understand all of the dynamics, uh, it makes things a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. You know, if you understand, you know, camera angles and lighting and this and that, you know, you're better prepared as an actor than, you know, just walking up and, you know, regurgitating your lines. Right. And I think, too, that actors tend to um, and I'm not an actor, so I may be out of line saying this, but my perception is that they're when they're working on a scene, they're thinking that the director is really just focused on that scene where the director is also thinking about the cinematography, the lighting, mm-hmm. the budget, the the next yeah. shot, the thing they have to do next week. There's all that is swirling around them while they're trying to focus on on that particular scene. So there's a lot more than just let me work with you on your dialogue. It's mm-hmm. everything everything. Yeah. And I think as an actor, once you understand that, I think you would tend to have a little more patience with a director, a little more, um, maybe team spirit. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's the right word. I think that works. Yeah. It just seems like it to me anyway. But again, like I said, I'm not an actor, but as a, as a film composer, uh, I definitely try to think of that. Like, I'm like, Hey, I need an answer on this. Why aren't they getting back to me while they're in, you know, in Europe shooting a scene right now? <laughs> <laughs> not concerned about the music for a scene they're not shooting right now, <laughs> you know, so it, it definitely it, it's it's and it's on a completely different film. Um, so, yeah, I think that j- just the understanding of the different relationships and where people are at can really help in uh, especially a film because the, it could be a really tense process. It is. It's it's a fast, intense micro business with a limited amount of time. <laughs> yes. But when you are on set, even as an actor, you're doing more than just acting. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind, what kind of things do you typically end up involved in, uh, whether it was intended or not? Oh, as far as if I'm producing or just acting? Just acting. Oh, geez. I could see you being one of those people that just kind of jumps in and helps out wherever you're needed, even if that's not what you were there for. Uh, yes, that might be correct. (laughs) (laughs) If you need me, I'm there. I'm I'm that girl, you know? Yeah. Uh, Do you think that comes from working in independent film where you kind of had to wear a bunch of hats? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, even in Florida, uh, it started to torrentially rain on us and, you know, I was pulling in gear and doing everything I could to help, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and just sometimes in those, independent film situations, you are wearing a lot of hats. You are, 
you are craft services for a minute. You are, you know, a PA for, you know, a day. Mm -hmm. You are producing. You are the line producer. You are, you know. Sure. You are it. I think it's pretty bold um, to shoot in places where there's potential weather danger. I mean, there's always that anywhere you go. But, you know, in California, you're always dealing with potential rain. Um, In Mm -hmm. Florida, you've got hurricanes. You've got all kinds of storms and things that can come out. You've got alligators. And, uh, you know, if you shoot in the south in in the springtime or in Nebraska, you've got potential tornadoes. So I always kind of admire people that are willing to take on potentially dangerous or uh, set disrupting locations. (laughs) <laughs> but sometimes a there's lot a of need. yeah you have to shoot in certain areas to bring out the realism in the film mm-hmm. absolutely you can't always make california look like florida no you can't you can't but it, you know those types of films i mean for me that's kind of what i love about it that adventure and you know you're doing it as a team and getting through it and the product you have at the end is absolutely beautiful yeah and you guys had some problems on this one though didn't you with some rain Oh my gosh. Yeah. The week I came out to set, uh, you know, I was like, Brian, is it going to be cold? No, it's been perfect. Beautiful weather, blah, blah, blah. I show up and it just starts torrentially raining. It is cold. We are on boats all day getting, you know, people getting in and out of the water. We ended up on a, on an Island filled with feral raccoons, (laughs) (laughs) which is odd. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as random as it gets right there. Yeah, yeah. We were we were filming a scene with Corn Nemec and we're out in the city in this uh, you know, treed area, and then a huge group of wild monkeys just starts running by. So, you know, I'm like, where am I right now? With the wizard hog. So is your next film gonna be shot in, in like South Africa? <laughs> You never know. You never know. I think that's got to be probably, I I mean, as aside from like the Arctic regions, I would have to think that's probably one of the most difficult places to, uh, to shoot just because of the wildlife alone, but feral raccoons in Florida, how can you see that coming? (laughs) I know you can't, you can't. (laughs) I don't know that anyone's ever hired a raccoon handler for a film, (laughs) but I kind of feel like there's a need for that now. We needed one because one of the raccoons tried to steal our sound guy's equipment. Oh, no. <laughs> it was great. I don't know. I mean, I've I've been uh, on set doing sound before, and I can say the gear is not tasty. So they were making a bad choice right there. <laughs> they were. They were. Yeah. But, but see, here's the thing. Now, uh, you have this situation that comes up. You've got the weather. You've got the raccoons. And you still push through. You get the film done. Were you able to finish it on time? Yes, we were. Absolutely. hundred percent. Excellent. Now, do you, when you are strategizing and kind of planning out the schedule, do you allow for a certain number of random days for events like that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't, right? Because your budget really doesn't allow for you to say, we're just going to have a couple like three or four days that we're just going to stick in there just in case, because you have people to pay locations to pay hotel bills, food, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Absolutely. You know, it, it, and you're really doing a lot of thinking and solving problems on the fly. You, you have to stick to your schedule as best you can, and you have to make a lot of compromises. But you don't want to compromise what's on the screen. Right. So, you know, that's that's really important. But you've got, you know, your budget to worry about and your casting crew and and your your timeline. Now, how do you I, I've never actually looked at how somebody breaks down a shooting schedule. I I, I where do you start? 
page one. <laughs> I mean, do you just like make a look at all the scenes and make a list and go, okay, here's all the locations. Uh, we, this scene, uh, this location appears in scene one, seven and 12. So we need to shoot mm-hmm. all those together. And then yes. what, what outfits are they wearing so that we make sure that we have them in the right outfit for the right day. I mean, there's so much to it. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, you know, that's basically kind of how you go about it. You know, in the different departments, they break down the script, uh, you know, in their own ways, Mm -hmm. just as wardrobe would be breaking down the script, you know, for wardrobe in those scenes. And, you know, everybody works together like it's kind of like a symphony or an orchestra where they all, you know, everyone comes together and then you have your map and you have, you know, your guidelines and that's what you're shooting and that's what you go from. So I would think that much like casting is going to decide the quality of your film because so much rides on that. It does. Uh, hiring the right department heads it would also be the other side of the success of, of a film. Yes. It's extremely important to have a good team and people that you can trust and people that can work independently, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully low drama. <laughs> well, that's the real key, isn't it? Yeah. And and I mean, the the situation for, for someone who's never been on a film set, it's it's always presented as this, oh, it's fun. And we were joking around and we pull, you know, we played gags on each other. But the fact of the matter is, it's actually can be a very, very tense situation. Mm-hmm. The sun's going down. We need to get the shot. Um, you've, you, you know, we've been trying for an hour and you guys keep laughing. We need to get this and move on. Um and and people that are even the nicest people can lose their cool. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you've seen that happen many times. I have seen that happen many times. We've, you know, had to send people home, mm-hmm. you know, send them packing. Yeah. Um, it's just one of, you know, it, 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 like I said before, you know, these, these movies, it's just like, it's this small, you know, micro business and you have a limited amount of time, you know, where, you know, on independent films, you might have a week or two weeks of pre-production. And then you're in, you know, shooting six days on one day off for two weeks. And that's all you got. Right. Right. And that's not a lot. Or four months of weekends. <laughs> exactly. Or that too. Yeah. Which, which is even harder because you're, you know, as an actor, you're not really connecting uh, one take to another take from a, from a different weekend. And so you might not remember that you were wearing a watch or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you had your hair a little bit different. And if no one's paying attention to that, I can see a lot of mistakes coming from that. Um, and it's funny when you watch a feature film, like uh, in, in the Die Hard with Justin Long, I think that was four. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a scene where he's walking behind Bruce Willis and he's talking, uh, but his mouth isn't moving. And you look at this, you know, this is a big multi-million dollar production and you would think that someone would catch that. But in the independent world, there aren't a lot of people that will um, th- that are going to view it and be able to catch those things. So you really have to work twice as hard to, to you know, make the film as good as it can be. Exactly. And then, you know, that comes back to, you know, having a good crew and a good team. If you have, you know, an, a great script supervisor and a great wardrobe person that knows these things and knows the script back and forth and knows what their people are wearing and is prepared, you're not going to run into those problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like a quality control. Very much so. Yeah. And, and, you know, you you do test audiences or test screenings for different people. And, uh, you know, you think that someone somewhere along the line would pick up something that's at least a little more major. 
like a coffee exactly. cup or, you know, something out of place. Um, well, what do you think, though, in, in putting a production together? Are there any other things that you can do besides those to really set it up for success? For And when I say success, I'm not talking about the commercial success of the film, uh, mm-hmm. just the success of the of having a good production. I really, really think that having a good production starts in pre-production. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre-production, I feel, is the most integral part of <clears throat> planning your film. And if you do a proper pre-production, you will be prepared for everything that, you know, well, you can't always be prepared, but, you know, for everything that comes at you, if you are organized enough and you have everything in place, um, you know, you're well on your way. Yeah. You know, there's always wrenches that get thrown into the mix, though. Well, sure. But the more prepared you are, the less wrenches there will be and the easier it is Mm -hmm. to handle them. If you're just having wrenches thrown at you left and right, then, yeah, you're going to have a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, and if you can go into production and the only thing you have to worry about is, okay, this actor's, you know, schedule that you're bringing in, you have to change things around. Well, you know, it's something you always have to deal with, but it's better than going, okay, well, who's our caterer? Right. You know, who's picking this person up from the airport? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and now that you've gone from uh, indie to a a little bit better budgeted uh, productions, I would imagine that uh, it's a little easier to coordinate some of that stuff because you can actually hire a a few more people to handle some of those minor details and you don't really need to focus on that as much. Yes, yes. Actually, um, it's really nice. You know, it's it's nice to have instead of doing everything yourself to have, you know, employees and um, colleagues working along with you. Mm -hmm. So when you look back to a film like Blood Moon Rising, which was really sort of a guerrilla filmed production, are you just (laughs) glad you're where you're at now? (laughs) I am, but I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, that was the best learning experience I could have ever had. Yeah. I mean, we had killer bees on our set one day that we had to get removed. I, there was so wow. much on that movie. I, I mean, it was uh, it was so hot. It was like 117. Mm-hmm. And we were sweating at CGS Studios inside. So the, the sweat in that movie is real. <laughs> I loved CGS Studios. in uh, It was in Glendale, I think. And um, that was Avondale, such a... Yeah. Yeah, that was such a great location. They had so many uh, great places. You could make it look like a Western. You could make it look like a modern film. Uh, there was one house that was hidden in the trees that I thought would be great to shoot a horror film at that we, I was never able to get back there to do. But they were a very accommodating, uh, great lot. And uh, just just who knew it was even there? It was just in the middle of the city. Yeah, it was such a gem. Uh, you know, we had location scouted all over Arizona to Tucson, everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And we found CGS Studios and it was perfect. Yeah. But, you know, now it doesn't exist anymore because it burnt down. Right. Yeah. Well, they were closing it anyway, I thought. Yeah, they, they were, were closing it. Yeah. It's going to be apartments or something. Yeah. Boy, how mm-hmm. sad is that? But there's so many. I mean, there's so okay. many great studios. It's just because we both filmed there. There's that mm-hmm. sentimental attachment and the, oh, I wish I would have done this and, and that sort of thing. But it was it was a great place. Uh, right. But certainly shooting in 117 degrees and being in any of those buildings, there's really no air conditioning. There's no <laughs> – which you can't run when you're filming anyway. Uh, nope. If there was, uh, at best, you're just going to blast it between takes. Mm-hmm. But how cold is it going to get? You know, not very cold. So. It's not. 
you know, shooting in the summertime in Arizona, man, kudos to anybody. And especially because you guys were wearing a lot of makeup and, and, and things that just had to be tough. It was tough. So why do we keep putting ourselves through all these ridiculous things, Lori? Why do we do it? Um, I think we like to torture ourselves a little bit for our art, <laughs> but you know, it's all about the, the excitement. And if you love something enough, you know, you're willing to do it. And it's part of the adventure. It's part of what is exciting to me as a, you know, a producer or an actress is, is, you know, being in these elements and, you know, making it happen, even though the world is still going on around you. Mm-hmm. It's um, it, good stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. But there there really just must be something um, that we love so deeply that we're willing to not just put ourselves through it, but not even think about what we're putting ourselves through. We just jump in and do it because it's what's needed. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, you know, 18 hours a day, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and for you as a producer, especially, it's not even just about the, you know, 12, 16 hours on set. It's about all the paperwork you have to do, all the planning, mm-hmm. all the, you know, uh, uh, releases and signatures and all that that you need to get and making sure everybody's ready for the next day and the day after that. There's so much work a producer does that uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of can, just dumbfounding that anyone would ever want to do it. <laughs> I know. Again, that self-torture thing. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think you figured it out. Yeah, good. <laughs> See, I don't just want to help people. I want to solve problems and, and just you... uncover all the mysteries. <laughs> You've gotten to the core. Yes. I'll be taking on the pyramids next week. Uh, have you ever shot out of, off of the continent? Um, no. Um, the farthest out of the country I've been is Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a feature that we <clears throat> we actually shot a feature film before Blood Moon Rising. Oh, but that one has never seen the light of day. It was another sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one we did in Mexico. We filmed that in Puerto Penasco and Rocky Point. Oh wow! And what what was that one called? Uh, that was called Out of Reach. Okay. And it's still out of reach because no <laughs> one. <laughs> what an yeah. ironic title that is. Yeah. Is there uh, is there hope that that one will see the light of day at some point? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I mean, I think I might be embarrassed because my my acting was um, not as on point at that time. However, you never know. You never know. I'd like to resurrect something. You know, there's another film uh, that has been on the shelf for about 10 years now, Fresh Velvet, that I uh, really want to bring bring out, bring off the shelf. Take so it do the I. I really want to see this <laughs> final film. There's a lovely trailer that you had posted a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. I had seen some shots from the set before. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And when I saw the trailer, I'm like, I really want to see this. I'm glad this is finally happening. And then, of course, uh, it hasn't yet. But I am holding out solid hope that it will. I love it. Keep your fingers crossed. I'm I'm in the works on something and trying to get it out there. So good. Well, I have to say, and, uh, and I haven't had him on the show yet. We've been also trying to arrange a good time. Uh, Kevin Ty, who is a, a fantastic film composer 
And yeah. uh, he owns a studio in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Very nice place he's <laughs> built out there. He does a lot of uh, voiceover sessions and things. And a really good friend of mine. And um, he has a mohawk in that film, which is what, a good foot high. It is. It was amazing. He was so good in that movie. He's a very good actor, and and uh, it, it's it's tough with guys like him because I I love seeing him work as a composer, I love mm -hmm. seeing him work as a studio engineer because he's so good at it. But I also miss seeing him as an actor. Yeah, yeah. But you have have a couple of very distinct looks in that film. I've never seen you with curls like that before. Yeah, I had the most amazing hairstyles in that movie. Oh my gosh, it was a joy to have awesome hair like that. And then at the end of the night, pulling out a thousand bobby pins was a different story. <laughs> but uh, my my sister-in-law actually was my hairdresser for that show. Oh. She's, she's a professional hairdresser. And we, Brian, you know, every everybody kind of has a look or a theme in that movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's very sci-fi, but every character has something special about them. So when this movie actually comes out, you can kind of see. And, you know, I, I was able to have a lot of retro looking hairstyles mm -hmm. kind of match different timelines. So um, it was pretty unique and pretty awesome. Yeah. And you had some really unique outfits in that movie, too, I have to say. I did. I had some amazing outfits. Did you were you the did you typically do the design of those or did, were you working with someone? Uh, no, actually, Brian's sister, she also did wardrobe for that. She is quite the stylish fast fashionista. So wow. it, it went with the themes that I was talking about. You know, mm -hmm. you might see something that looks, you know, from the, you know, something 1920s. Then you'll see something like 1970s. You kind of get that vibe with different characters. Yeah. Well, everything that I saw in the, in the trailer and in the stills, um, really, you really popped on screen. And I think that's one of the yeah. things that really kind of drew me into it was that there's visually it's a very stunning piece. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that a lot. I, I see mostly like, OK, here's the setting. Here's the stuff that happens. But there's just something about I don't know if it's the combination of the hairstyles, the wardrobe, the characters, the way it was shot. Um, but there's something that just is very visually uh, intriguing about that film. And that's part of one of the reasons I really want to see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm hoping I can uh, make that happen. Do it. And I fully, whatever I can do to help, you just let me know. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Give me some money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go out on the strip tonight and show some leg and see what I can get for you. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Usually I just don't make any money at that, but uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> But you you bring up an interesting point because now you're talking, you know, some years ago and obviously, you know, as you've grown as an actor, as you've uh, directed, as you've been a producer and you've been on sets working with a lot of other people, your mm -hmm. skills have grown. And it's kind of weird sometimes to go back and look at those older things that we've done where we're like, uh, maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was back then. Mm -hmm. Do you are you one that likes to watch yourself on screen or do you not? No. Oh, my God. It is so trippy seeing myself up there. I love it, but it's it. It's hard because that's kind of all you're focusing on is your performance. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, you know, oh, gosh. But it's so out of body for me. I really, for me, when I do a film or I become a character, 
I really like to kind of just leave it there. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to watch yourself and, and you're taken out of that's me, then you know you did a good job. It, it, as if you're just a spectator. Right. Watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to separate from that when you watch yourself. Um, but I've had the opportunity to see that, you know, quite a few times in some of my performances. And, and that makes me happy. I would think that if it's a character that you really locked onto and became uh, versus someone that you played, I think there's a difference between those two things. If it's a character you really became, I would imagine it's easier to watch it because you're not seeing yourself, you're seeing the character versus maybe something that you didn't have such a strong connection to. Yeah. You know, well, Blood Moon, I I mean, I had a fun time watching that, but that movie is just a fun, you know, movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, with Crushed Velvet, that I really, really, really delved into that character. And uh, I think I, I had told you before, we were working so much and I was going to college at the time. Yeah. I was literally the, the story is, you know, she's locked in, in this game show and she's locked into this, you know, prison kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I literally stayed at this studio in this room without any light on a popped air mattress after filming, writing my, you know, finals and my papers and then getting to sleep for three hours and getting up and, getting ready for the next day. So I felt like I was kind of living that character's life in a way. So it it helped me with, with that. And instead of just waiting another week until after you were done with your finals and you could afford another mattress, you're going to shoot a (laughs) film in the middle of all of that. Exactly. Why not? Why not? Never (laughs) a dull moment. I feel like I have, um, a little bit of an advantage as a composer over an actor because like I have released, I think it's 26 or 27 albums now. And a lot of the older albums, when I look back on them, I actually pulled them all off the market because they were recorded with, uh, you know, sounds that aren't up to the par where I'm at now. Uh, Mm -hmm. My level as a composer wasn't where it is now. So I'm actually going back and revamping a lot of those songs for re-releasing these albums. I want to do like one a year over the next few years because I think it was 14 of them that I pulled off. Um, But as an actor, you can't go back and reshoot those scenes. You can't recut that film with you in it all of a sudden 10 years later. (laughs) Is that kind of a hard thing to you? Are there things that you would rather, you know what, I I wasn't really up to par where I am now. I really don't want you to see that. You know, I mean, there is that thought there. Because, yeah, 10 years is a long time. Yeah. 12 years is, you know, you've changed a lot. You've grown a lot. You've learned a lot. You know, you've honed your skills, but, and then you go back to that and you say, if I release this, what are, you know, are people going to think, you know, this is my performance now, but you know, it's all part of that process. You know, there's a lot of famous actors out there who, you know, didn't come on as a child actor, you know, as a, as a star. So, um, you know, just being a part of it and, uh, you know, having it there. I know a lot of actors are embarrassed about different things. I mean, I think the first thing I did was a Peter Piper pizza commercial. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And people ask me and sometimes I'm like, Oh, that was the first thing I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't know why I have so many friends that have done food commercials. I have a friend that was in a Taco Bell commercial, and I think I knew somebody that was in a Burger King commercial, but nothing else. Like everyone I know has just done food. <laughs> and it's not like it's low hanging fruit or anything. I mean, you get the yeah. whatever commercial you get. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, I think, too, as somebody who's a fan of you, I think I would want to see the older stuff that you've done because I would want to see that progression. I'd want to see where were you at 10 years ago? How much have you grown and learned? You know, what opportunities have you had? Um, I, I, I mean, when I'm a fan of an actor, though, I kind of want to see that. Mm hmm. You know, uh, I, I love going back and watching things that people did, like auditions, especially. I love seeing when people audition for things because they're so different, even from the characters that they ended up playing. It's true. It's true. I do love seeing that, too. You make a really good point. You know, even when you're in film school, you're you're getting shown, you know, the first film that this, you know, famous director made. And it, it's not that great. Or, you know, maybe it was for the time, but you just see that, oh, my gosh, look where they are now and where they started. So you make a really good point. Well, thank you. And I think that I think a big mistake that we make in general as, as whatever field in entertainment that you're growing in, we're always just comparing ourselves to the the top of the A-list, right? So if mm -hmm. you're a director, you're going to be, I want to be the next Spielberg. Well, why don't you start out just learning you know, like aspire to be that, that's fine, but don't hold yourself to that standard because you haven't learned everything he's learned. You don't have the experience that he's had. You've got to start growing somewhere. And I think a lot of people do that in a way that becomes self-defeating and they'll quit because they don't, they don't attach to that kind of success um, right away. And they're holding themselves to a standard that's really not attainable anytime soon. Yeah. Exactly. I agree with you. Now, when you're watching audition tapes or you have people audition for you, how much how much stock do you put in the audition versus what you see them being able to do? Um, you know, a lot of times for the independent films that I have been involved in casting and, and different things like that. Um, a lot of times it really you are looking for. And I hate to say it, you're looking for a certain look, you know, um, and then you're trying to find someone with the ability to act, you know, and to pull that character off and, and that has that chemistry. And, um, you know, it. Where am I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think there's there definitely. I mean, we live in a very uh, visual medium. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you do more than I do because I do music, which is unfortunately oftentimes visual. You have to have the image to represent the single. You have to have the album cover. You have to have an image in the video. Um, but more so with film because you have to have people that can pull off a realism to the actor that they're or the character that they're playing. Mm -hmm. But if they give a halfway decent audition, but they have the perfect look mm -hmm. and you see, you know, your your audition really wasn't where I wanted it to be, but I think we can work with you. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that something that you would potentially see uh, you wanting to work with that person or would you be more like, OK, but do we have somebody better? If I felt that that person was, you know, right for the role and they just needed a little bit of work, you know, I mean, and that that really is up to, you know, the director mm -hmm. to make that call. However, it's it is somebody I would be willing to work with. There's I mean, where we got our start and, and you know, in the independent world and everything, you your choices are 
you know, kind of limited and, and, and who was auditioning for you and, and what you're looking for. And you do have to work with people. Right. Um, but you know, I, I'm always one, I like to be surprised by people. A lot of people don't audition well. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes, you know, we, we like to do, you know, callbacks and different things like that, or a chemistry test or mm-hmm. something like that to see, you know, can they do it? I think that makes a lot of sense. And I remember listening to, uh, you know, uh, Jenna Fisher and uh, Angela Kinsey have a podcast called The Office Ladies, and they're talking about, uh, they break down an episode of the show on each podcast episode, and they were talking about the audition process. And they had so many people that that uh, the directors and producers were interested in that they actually started doing a lot of chemistry tests between people. And that's how they ended up with the final cast that they did was because it was just Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski just had the best chemistry together. And then they picked mm-hmm. them to be on the show, which obviously worked very well. Yes. Um, but is it sometimes do you find that uh, there's a couple people that have really good chemistry and it's really just hard to choose who you want? Oh, Yeah. Is there a criteria that you use to to really just make a decision or do you just pick? No, you know, usually it doesn't. It's not for me. It's usually not my final decision. Okay. So, um, you know, it's really the director's call in the end of everything. So you're narrowing down choices and saying, okay, here's the ones that we really think stand the best chance. And now it's up to you. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, from a producer standpoint, you're like, okay, well. You also have to look at, you know, how much it's going to cost, you know, the business side of everything. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an excellent point because you do work now. I mean, in independent film, it's like most people aren't getting paid anyway. But (laughs) uh, when you're when you're up to the level that you guys are at. Yeah. Now you are paying people. You do have a lot of things to consider. There's scheduling. uh, Scheduling. If if they can only work so many days because they're finishing up another project uh, that's going to hold you up. Um, there's so much that goes into those decisions. It's really a lot more than just the audition process. Yeah, so much more. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess with that kind of success, it would make sense that more challenges come <laughs> along the way. But that's kind of, I mean, you're you're where you want to be, right? This is where you always wanted to get to. Yeah, you know what? It is. I can I can say, you know, I've been able to uh, accomplish a lot of things I've dreamt about since I was a little girl. Um and uh, prove naysayers wrong. I don't think I've completely made it yet, but I'll take that compliment to the grave. <laughs> but, um, well, do we ever really make it? I mean, this business is a grind. You're always fighting for the next project or the one after that. And uh, there's there's no, it's not like a, an eight to five job where they just like, they hire you. And as long as the company's open and you do good, you have a job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of always on the line. And, and uh, as long as you're always doing your best and, and keeping up good relationships, then there's really no reason for people not to give you another chance. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just got you, you work hard and it's a hustle. You know, this isn't you know, a full time job, 365 days a year. You know, you have maybe a month. Right. And then, you know, your next job. When's that going to happen? When's that going to come down? When's it going to, when's the green light going to turn on? Right, right. I mean, about halfway through a production, you need to start thinking about your next production and start networking while you're trying to finish this production. And uh, it's <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's a continual roller coaster, really. It's a fun little circus we call filmmaking. <laughs> we like it. I like that. 
I like that. Uh, actually, it's funny that you say that because I just started writing a piece of music this morning called Carnival. So that actually worked oh my really gosh. well. Now, you uh, you were acting in, in another film called The Second. Yes. Oh, I'm excited about that movie. What can you tell us about that one? That movie starring Ryan Phillippe, directed by um, Brian Skiba. Who's Brian Skiba? I don't know. He's this <laughs> strange guy I just met. Uh, my husband who was on a recent episode of this very show he was yes yes uh, we we filmed it over the summer it is absolutely intense amazing movie i just being on set was like watching a, a live movie happening in front of you it was just absolutely amazing the mm-hmm. stunts and effects in this movie are incredible the acting I mean, Casper Van Dien and Ryan Phillippe, William Catt. I got to work again right right across from. So excited. Mm -hmm. You know, so many wonderful people in this film. Um, I just heard that it got picked up for theatrical distribution. So I'm super excited to be on the big screen. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I imagine that uh, the goal after that in, in distribution these days is to get on one of the streaming networks, whether it be Netflix or Hulu or or something. Mm-hmm. So you do the theatrical, uh, then that, and then it comes out for uh, online like uh, Amazon, Apple Apple uh, movies, and, and then uh, DVD release. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that one will be Netflix. Very cool. I have Netflix. So yay. Yay. But theatrical first. So that's very, very exciting. Is this really uh, exciting? Is this your first theatrical release? Uh, no. No, it's not. I mean, I've had theatrical releases, but the way they were done, you know, it was, um, you know, in a limited amount of theaters. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the bigger theatrical release, yes, this would be my first one. Well, I am very excited for you. And uh, it's, Thank you. you know, I've I've been in the theater when my music has played in the movie. And I also uh, my minimal acting that, <laughs> that made it into Jason Bourne. Uh, it was amazing to go to the theater and see yourself on the big screen or hear something that you've created on the big screen. It's there's nothing like that in the world. So cool. It Best really feeling is. ever. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. And uh, so we'll be looking forward to to that. That is called The Second. And uh, once uh, once that comes out, do let me know and I'll uh, put that out on the, uh, you know, uh, out on the web so that people can check that out. Um, in the middle of all of this, though, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was h- how do you you have children? You have mm-hmm. a husband who's gone uh, when you're not on set. You're you're working from home. There's mm-hmm. so much going on in your household. How do you manage all of that and have any sanity left? <laughs> well, I'm questioning that myself. Ah. But, uh, you know, I just make it happen. It, I really don't know sometimes how I, how I manage it. I, I like to think I'm pretty organized, but I'm not sure I am. Uh, but, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. And, you know, I, I've also been dealing with some, you know, health stuff Mm -hmm. that I've been getting treatment for. So that has kind of thrown a wrench in it and made everything a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you do what you can and do what you got to do, you know, to get through this life and, and, you know, to support your family and yourself. And uh, you just make it work. 
You have to. I think the ability to just roll with whatever comes your way, the immediate change, the, oh, here's an emergency I need to handle, and and doing the best you can to keep your head straight. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think those have to be keys to that. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've had a lot of life, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of experiences in my life and, you know, hard things that I've dealt with you know, even before meeting my husband that have kind of prepared me for, uh, where I am today and what I can handle. And, and I know that, um, I will survive and tomorrow will be a brand new day. Very good. Well, I think that attitude is, is what really makes it work because I think it's too easy these days. People just kind of want to bitch and moan about everything or be the, the result of of something happening instead of taking control of it. But yeah. if you want to be successful, you've got to say, okay, here's what's happening. Here's how I'm going to handle it and and just take an action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to take control over it, not let it take control over you. Exactly. And and obviously, you know, having kids takes a certain level of patience anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, but to be able to, to handle, oh, uh, well, we had to extend the shoot. I'm going to be gone another two weeks. And you mm-hmm. were, you know, certain things you were working around, maybe Brian being back home, uh, having to roll with those changes. I mean, there's so much to it. Uh, I, I applaud anyone that can manage that and even keep their sanity, let alone maintain a successful career, a successful household. Uh, that's awesome. Well done. Thank you. I am a hot mess express, but I'm, I'm still chugging along. <laughs> but you seem to be doing great. I, I, the appearance of it is is, is very well controlled. So I, I'll, Thank I'll, you. Uh, I'll just stay, say that. Uh, well, so what's uh, what's next for you? Oh, gosh. I mean, so you're working on the thriller in between all the other things, but uh, working on that, you know, at the wee hours of the morning when I have peace and quiet. Mm hmm. I'm currently in development on a Western and a Christmas film with some very well-known people attached. I can't say their names yet sure, for legal reasons, but I'm very excited about that. I'm also working on that with my husband. And in 10 months, we'll be able to see it. (sighs) That's the hard thing about the industry, especially when you're dealing with something that's seasonal, is that you have to shoot it off-season and pretend that it's the season that you're pretending it is, but you're sweltering hot while you're shooting a Christmas movie and freezing cold while you're shooting movies that appear to be in the summertime. Uh It's such a backwards thing just because of the schedule. I mean, nobody's going to say, okay, I'm going to invest in a Christmas movie. We're going to shoot it during the holidays now so that it can come out a year from now. Nobody's going to invest their money and let it just sit there for 12 months. You got to get that show going. We just, I mean, we just did that. We were... For the Christmas movie, it was hot. It was the summertime in California, and we needed to make it snowy and cold. And then when we were in Florida, it was supposed to be hot and sunny, and it was rainy and cloudy. So Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And I remember when I when I interviewed uh, Dee Wallace uh, a couple of months ago, she was mm-hmm. saying that, you know, because uh, Cujo is shot uh, to make it look like it's in the summertime. So they're in the car. They're just sweating. They're dehydrated. But they were freezing cold, and they eventually installed an extra heater into the car that they could run between takes. No way. I didn't know that. Oh, I love that movie. It is a great movie. And it's so interesting to see how good Danny Pintaro was being so young Uh and doing those long days in the car. I mean, most kids don't have that kind of uh, ability to just sit there. 
Yeah. You know, as, as you sure. know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they actually had to uh, install the heater and I'm glad that they did that. But uh, man, it's, it's, again, it just is that what are we willing to do to create the movie that we want to create? And you make it happen. Well, I cannot wait to see what happens next. I'm looking forward to these uh, these films coming out and and the next things that you're that you're lining up. And Thank I'm you. so glad to see because I've known you from the time that you were an indie filmmaker, and mm-hmm. I'm so glad to see how you guys have built these careers, how you're uh, getting the budgets to make the movies that you want to make and make them the way that you want to make them because that really is so important when you have a dream. It is. It's. it's- it's a blessing. It's been a lot of hard work, you know, blood, sweat and tears and sacrifice. But, you know, we're going to keep going and I'm, I'm not done yet. No, not at all. And then uh, <laughs> so before we wrap up, my last question for you is for people that are getting into the independent film world now or have been in it for a while. Do you have any advice or anything for them to uh, to work towards the level that you guys have achieved? You know, we really sharpened our knives uh, actually doing uh, film competitions. Mm -hmm. And that was something that, you know, because they were so short, you know, they were really tiny little films, you know, you do on a weekend or whatnot. And that really gave us a lot of experience to build on. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about like the 48-hour film challenge? Yeah, the 48-hour film challenges, the ones we did with the Almost Famous Film Festival, Mm -hmm. those kind of challenges for us at the time. I mean, you know, we both went to school. We both had film school, you know, but not all the time. You know, I had film instructors telling me because I was already producing at the time that I could probably, you know, teach that class. And I said, no, 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 I'm here to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm here to learn something. I'll, I'll get something out of it. You know, and that was either, you know, I, I learned how to use, you know, a camera then, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't want to touch the camera. I didn't want to, you know, know how to use it. But in school, I did. So, you know, keeping your education going, working hard and never giving up. Yes, I think, too, um, you you touched on something there. I think knowing that there is always more to learn and more to know, because I think we tend to just get comfortable and. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before and not think that maybe there's other ways to do this that could be more efficient or more cost effective or easier. Um, Or maybe there's things I don't know about it at all. I think we tend to just get to a point where we get comfortable and we don't push to learn anymore. Yeah, we should never stop, stop educating ourselves and, and being better. I agree. You know, whether that's being a better communicator because you are dealing with people on a film set you know, those skills. now more than ever, because the technology is growing so quickly that uh, you need to learn to adapt to those things on top of everything else. I know. I still have to ask my kids questions about how to use my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, growing up in the age that we did when, uh, you know, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but when Pong was a big thing, that was like the greatest thing in the world. And then watching it <laughs> go from Atari to television and ColecoVision and now home yeah. computers. And now, I mean, cell phones can do far more than an Atari ever could. Uh, I'm starting to get to that point where I'm like, I think this is moving faster than I can intake anymore. I know it's hard to catch up. So I might hit you up with some questions to ask your kids if you don't mind. 
okay, they'd be happy to help. They're my little IT team. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Lori, it has just been such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so glad we were able to arrange this. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. So great talking to you. Thank you for having me, Scott. For Always sure. a pleasure. Thank you. And definitely come back and see us again when uh, when the next movie comes out. Come talk to us about it. I would love to. When you can contractually reveal the things that you can't reveal today. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laura. You take care. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Just somebody that has ideas, they go for it, they uh, give it everything they have because you know what? You make your own life. You can, uh, you know, you can be stuck under someone else making your life or you can decide to make it for yourself and start building as she did and uh, make it happen. So thank you, Lori, for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us and your knowledge and, and some fun stories. And uh, thank you guys for checking out another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'll be back next week with another guest. And uh, please share, like, rate, leave me a review. Uh, if you have any questions or feedback, scott at scotthaskin.com. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers.